It's tough work to be a driver on the road, but even tougher to manage your own trucking company while doing so. From back office work like invoicing, picking loads, dispatching yourself and your drivers to even dealing with breakdowns on the road, it's not an easy task. Adding in the leap from driving to making your own freight brokerage and you get an amazing story and resilience in the face of the chaos that the supply chain has to offer. But what does it take from driving your own truck to driving the reins of a company? And what lessons can we take along the way for others who are interested in following in their footsteps? Well, folks, strap in, find out. We're going to figure it out on this episode of Loaded and Road. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. It's not every day we get the opportunity to talk to folks who have been both driving behind the wheel and even being behind the computer screen by driving, dispatching, and brokering freight in this industry. Many times, folks only specialize in one silo and very rarely take the leap to learn what it takes to succeed and even actually pull it off. So I'm super excited. Joining me to talk about what it takes to succeed and thrive in this chaotic industry is Brittany Trailer, founder and CEO of Trailer Transpo, an asset-based freight brokerage with specialized capabilities and power-only shipments. Before starting her brokerage in 2020, Brittany was an owner-operator for over five years, building both companies from the ground up. Welcome, Brittany. Super excited to get to talk to you again. Hi, Thomas. That was a great introduction. How are you? Doing pretty well. If you hear any random noises in the studio, I think there's uh, someone blaring music outside downtown Chattanooga. So I always love doing live shows because you never know what you're going to get. One time there was a marching band when we had a Memorial Day edition show. <laughs> well, let's dive in. Want to hear about, you know, you started as an owner operator. And for many folks who, you know, maybe brokers or shippers watching this, you know, what were the first steps to to getting into this? Did you take a traditional path through like a carrier and get your own authority? Or did you start out thinking, well, I'm going to get a truck and get my uh, MC number and go from there? What was uh, what's the backstory? So I started off <clears throat> with my actual brokerage, right, rather than the asset side. At that moment, I really didn't believe that I had the financial capabilities to really grow the trucking piece at that moment yet. So I started off um, getting my own authority in 2020, and then I learned pretty quickly that it does take assets really to mitigate that risks as a small business and really obtain some of these contracts, right, and work with shippers. So it kind of started off as the brokerage by itself, and then 2021 is when we started that asset side. And when you're looking at starting the asset side, you know, it was a great time to hop in as freight rates were going up. What what are some of the decisions you make? Are you thinking, do I need to start with a handful of trucks or do you start with one and scale up? What are some of the challenges when you're looking to grow that? So definitely start with one and then scale up, right? But it's really mitigating that risk on the road. So how do we go about that? Should we buy our own trucks, right? And then deal with the breakdowns and things of that nature? Do we have the infrastructure to really nurture and really be able to mitigate those risks or how do we go about it? So when I started, I started initially off with lease trucks and that was um, maybe a higher overhead on the front end, right? But long-term and just really managing trucks and being a driver myself, 
You don't want to be stuck on the road for two hours and everyone's trying to find a mechanic and can't assist, right? So leasing really was my number one way to mitigate both of those options where now our drivers are on the road and still have that feeling as far as working for a big carrier and having tech and apps and things of that nature to be able to reach out 24-7 wherever they're at, right? And that was kind of the key indicator what led us to leasing should be the place where we start before we purchase our own assets. That's what uh, reminded me. I came from a startup that started with a handful of trucks, and that was the same decision they made. They they were like, well, one, we can't even buy one because they started in, uh, I think, 20, 2021 range, similar to when you all got assets. Couldn't even get them. Can't order them unless you're a large carrier. <laughs> and so we started going with the leasing option. And that's what blew my mind because I couldn't imagine folks who had, uh, I had one owner operator or two when I started. And the problem was their truck kept breaking down. But then I'd say, hey, how do you need help? Should I help you look for stuff? Like, no, I know a guy at this shop. Oh, I've got this figured out. And it's like with the leasing, you can just call and like, I think we used Penske and um, Ryder. And Ryder. Yeah, we did Ryder, we did Penske. And it's crazy to think that they have their own, you just call the number and they'll help you figure it out versus you having to go through a book and I have the person. Like how much, how much easier does that make life? Because I can only imagine it'd be super stressful because it's not a matter of if, but when they break down. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that made life for us a lot more easier on the administrative side, right? Really kind of like you said, hey, do I need to help you? And if you've ever been in that position at 11 o'clock at night, trying to find a mechanic that's open right in North Dakota or wherever the truck is at, uh, in the uh, that makes things definitely challenging and tough. So um, being able to just go on an app and get a, and make a call, um, that definitely helps us. But then also getting drivers, right? Um, for me as a driver, what matters is I want to drive in a nice truck. That's my house, right? You're going to expect for me to be in there two to three weeks at a time. And even if it's just Monday through Friday, I'm spending more time in that truck than I'm, I am at home. So I do want to have that feeling of, you know, at home on the road, refrigerator, microwave and um, things of that nature. That's really essential. And then also being able to give our drivers the, the security and the insurement that, hey, wherever you're at, this is how we're handling breakdowns. So hiring driver at that point made things super, super easy for me, at least. And when you're looking for drivers, this is one thing I think a lot of people outside of the industry that don't really understand is, I mean, it's a lot of work even trying to find and hire a driver because you have to go through these steps, the, the background test, the drug screening, all these other things. What is it like from uh, the standpoint of a business owner? If you're looking to expand, what what are you looking for? How do you even start to find a driver? Do you, is it chicken or the egg? Do you get the truck and see it or do you get the driver and then find the truck? Right. I think that's where um, I definitely had a um, a key advantage of just already being a driver, right? So initially, the first drivers that I hired along the road have at some point worked with me at some company. And I think that's also the key advantage of just building this brokerage, right? I started off as a player in the game. So I have, you know, a different type of understanding and also insight that ultimately is the key advantage when it comes to retaining drivers, um, mitigating the risks for safety and things of that nature. I feel like that's the biggest challenge. When I worked at, I came from US Express for my first trucking gig, did five years, managed fleets, but 
Uh, you never really knew all your drivers. You only knew like a small portion because a lot of them just wouldn't want to talk to you or they just did their own thing. So I only talked to like one out of every three or four. Uh, it's such a weird thing because when you go to a smaller, you start a smaller company, you know the driver's names, you know what they like to do, their family, where they live. It's such a strange feeling for me when I swap. Is that one of the cool things you think that a lot of folks, uh, even from brokers, don't really understand is that, you know, you have to have this connection with the drivers and it's not just a transactional, oh, I just sold you a load, whatever. Okay, when are you going to come back? I'll give it to you for 500. <laughs> no, I think that makes, I think that makes things a lot more easier. Also, because we do specialized work, right? Besides just power only, we do a lot of flatbed work. So when we're talking about, hey, I don't know how to secure this load, um, hey, well, then give me a call, send me a picture through our app with our TMS, right? We streamline everything and um, I'm able to assist and help right on the spot. So giving that extra support to our carriers that if needed, um, here I am just a phone call away, right? Everyone has my cell phone number, but also given our, then on the back end, right? Given our customers the insurement that these are some of the reasons why we can make sure that every load is secured properly and just done right. Your your TMS was more advanced when I started. We had an Excel spreadsheet and it was like, you just add it in. I got so spoiled because when I came from a mega carrier, everything was integrated. They had their own homebrew. I had like, you know, it went through a driver tech. I just shoot you a message. I was like, oh, everyone must do this. No, they do not all do that. And so here I am just calling on, for, you know, calling these drivers. For for folks who are owner operators in smaller fleets, I feel like the challenge is trying to get that technology, but not knowing where to start or maybe not knowing how to afford it. What was the thing that really uh, pushed you towards saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a TMS, I'm going to implement this versus how a lot of folks do it, where you're just kind of winging it and then you're sending your bills and maybe you're using the broker app, but that's about the closest to a TMS that you get. Right. So I think initially last year, um, it was going to a lot of FreightWaves event, right? And just being exposed to tech. I never knew what, I mean, 2021 and at the beginning of 2022, I didn't even know what a TMS is, right? So I did everything also of Excel sheets. But um, in our drivers, you know, our drivers don't all love the app, right? They don't all love the technology, but I do feel everyone knows that it's coming, that COVID pushed technology to be there a little bit faster than anticipated, right? Especially now where this year we're seeing a lot of changes with AI. We hear a lot of automation, right? It's not just tech. It's all about how do we automate things. So I do know that I think there's a big wake up call to everyone that, hey, if you're not going to jump on this train, you're going to be left out, right? But ultimately, also my decision of how big do I want to get? Do I want to stay a moms and pops? And do we just want to run a handful of trucks with a couple of um, owner operators? And um, or how big do you want to get? So, um, yeah, I made the, the ultimate decision that I'm going to get as big as I can and I'm going to go all out. And if I and if that's the goal, then tech is definitely a tremendous big part because I started in COVID, right? So I started not with the typical brick and mortar. I started from the jump. How do you set up a business efficiently, remotely, where everybody feels apart, not just from processes and tech in place, but also culture? I feel like culture is the hardest part remote. I I had to go remote with uh, when COVID hit. Uh, actually, when I started with a trucking company, they're out of Austin and I was in Chattanooga. 
And um, I feel like that's a huge challenge that I don't think a lot of folks, they talk about it in finance and banking. We see some folks going back and forth with office policies, but uh, what, were there anything that helped you out in terms of building remote culture, working with folks remote? Or any tips or tricks for folks finding out? Because I remember the days and sometimes you, if you're separated in trucking, you don't get to see that everyone else is stressed. And then you're like, oh man, it must be horrible for me. And then you forget that everybody else is dealing with, you know, the same stuff. Right. I think the key, the key aspect is transparency. So that's the point that we get from the tech, right? So that's assists us. But then also processes and consistency when it comes to team meetings. Every morning, um, you know, my sales team has a meeting at eight o'clock um, that um, Rebecca help, assists with. So she's kind of our sales manager. Then every Monday we have a product meeting, right? So just coming up with a clever schedule for you and your company itself on having meetings, having them consistently, having an agenda, right? So people kind of know what to expect. And for us in the last I would say in the last half a year that it has helped tremendously increase culture, but also have help people stay motivated. Right. When you're remote and you're like in your own bubble and nobody is there, you can kind of feel like left out and alone a lot of times. So just having a chat where everybody's a part of. Right. And just having a hype come in every day to let everyone know that, hey, I see you. I know you're there. I see what you're doing. You're doing great. Right. Um, I think those are probably the key pieces that I implement and that I've worked out really well. That's the best way to do it. And I, I have a curious question. Dual authority. So you have you have the brokerage as well as the asset side. So you get the you get the best of both worlds. But I always wonder whenever you're looking at managing that, like with a CEO looking up 30,000 feet, is there a challenge in terms of do the certain type of folks who would make like good dispatchers, do you take a certain individual compared to like someone who's maybe a salesy brokerage oriented person? If you're looking to grow, do you almost have to look in different directions or is there kind of an interchange where you could take a former freight broker and then you could throw them in like a back office or take a driver and put them in as like a brokerage role? Hmm. Tough question. So I didn't yeah. kind of go hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do look, you know, when I hire people, I, I set the expectations from the jump, right? We are a small business and there is no, that is not my job, right? You're not being hired on for the simple, basic job description within that. So everybody understands that one day, maybe not the first two, three weeks or whatnot, but I will ask for you to be comfortable enough to jump out of that perimeter to kind of assist with this or assist on this project, right, as we're growing. So in the beginning of my venture, it was really tough because I didn't really understand how to set those expectations, right? So we did run into some complications. But then um, after getting some HR training, as I would call it, <laughs> I got a good understanding and good feel on really just how to delegate, right? How to delegate and how to motivate and how to communicate. And... Um, once I think I've obtained those skills that I'm constantly and consistently still working on, that's really the key difference, right? Are you being transparent? Are you letting everyone know where you're at and what the vision is, right? Do you have a clear vision and a clear roadmap? And if you can give people a clear vision and a clear roadmap, they're more willing so to buy in and they can buy into something that's actually tangible, even though it doesn't exist yet. I think that's a great point. I was the hardest thing for me was uh, the more I moved up in trucking and even learning as a broker, 
uh, was that the higher up you are, the more it becomes, this is what I'd like to see. This is what I, how I hope we get here. And this is the steps that we're getting there. And I think for a lot of people, it can be hard because you're used to just doing one thing well, like you're good at sales or you're good at dispatching, you're good at picking loads. And so that's, that's the most important part, in my opinion. It's, uh, it's exciting to see you all implementing it. I want to, I want to touch on power only. I dabbled in it back in the day when we did, um, assets, uh, even a US Express, we do power only for like sometimes interchange. But when we're looking at that, do y'all still primarily focus on like your dry vans? Are we talking the fun open deck power only where I'm picking up like a pneumatic trailer somewhere and taking it? Cause I've seen those before and it gets wild. So I think we do a handful of that. Um, some pneumatic trailers, majority of we, what we do is we're in the metal and aluminum industry, right? So primarily, that's kind of how that power only in that flatbed modes were kind of implemented. And um, I believe right now at this moment, still 90% of our work is power only, but it's not the typical dry van. It, it is definitely specialized work. And I do believe as a small business to really stay competitive in the market, um, you can't just do what the big guys do, right? I just can't do what US Express does and be competitive. So doing specialized work, even if it's power only, right, with combine trailers or flatbed and things of that nature, that's that's really helped us scale, right? And that really assists us with putting our mark into into the world, if that makes sense. It definitely does. It's hard to find specialized uh, and stuff. I did a little bit of flatbed work uh, as a broker, but it was mostly like you said, a U.S. Express can do 5,000 loads a week and they know where they're going to go. They have it all networked. And that's their that's their thing. But, you know, if you're looking to scale, I like your example because you can make good rates. You can get opportunities and specialized and make the connections. Is that one of the things, especially in that niche uh, area? I won't call it as niche, but it's a smaller one. You know, flatbed is specialized. It takes a certain kind of person to do uh, chains, binders and straps. I'm not that kind of person. I, I am in an office in an air conditioning and I have my a shout out to everyone who does that because I was thinking of that and I was like, chains, binders, and tarps. I was like, who's tarping it? Oh, the driver is. Oh, that's not fun. So <laughs> looking at that, when you're looking to grow and you want your, you know, when you're starting smaller and you're looking to get bigger, is the biggest challenge first getting access to customers or do you try to build those relationships first and then scale? Because I always was curious. I was I always came from a very mature company. We had customers. We had lanes. We had contracts. But when you're starting out, do you look for that kind of consistency, or do you look for the opportunities to like be the specialized go-to for certain people who do have the freight until you can get that kind of uh, you know get your foot in the door? So in the beginning, um, I believe I just went everywhere. Right, I was just scrambling in every direction. What direction that we need to go? And um, since then we kind of focused on a mode. Okay, well, let's focus on a region and let's focus on a mode, right? But it wasn't until we focused into a niche and really committed to a niche until we was really able to scale. Because if you don't have a niche, I mean, what customers are you attracting? And again, as a small business, if you don't have the competitive advantage of having a thousand assets, well, then it's very important that you kind of channel in a region, a mode, and in an industry where you can really make those relationships, right? And where you start becoming an expert. So since the end of last year, where we kind of really made that commitment to the metal and the aluminum industry and a little bit of construction here and there, we've really honed in with associations and other opportunities 
to really be around those decision makers. So I would suggest to anyone that has a small business, stop doing everything, stop being everything to everyone because you just can't compete. Um, decide, I don't think there's going to be a one niche that's more profitable than something else, but decide on what you do and become an expert in that field, right? To be able to really add value rather than just, well, I can pick up your load uh, tomorrow and be good for X amount of dollars, right? I think brokers, not everybody likes to work with brokers because we don't have our own assets, right? So transactional value is really overrated and you have to start, especially as a small business, become an expert in something to really add value and to really be able to build a relationship. I feel like that's the biggest challenge because the past two years, rates were so good. All of the social media stuff I'd see was go get your own authority, get your own truck, go out there and just anyone can make it because rates were so high. Uh, do you feel in at least your experience or talking to other people in the industry, is, is was that a big challenge for many of these folks who got started in the past two years was they didn't pick a lane. They just thought they can go the load boards and then they just figured it would always work out. Absolutely. You hit the nail. I mean, you hit the hammer on the nail. Absolutely. Right. I think a lot of individuals didn't have a lot of business understanding that happens with small businesses. Right. We're good in our trades, whether you're a trucker, you're a barber or whatever. You're great in your trade, but you don't understand business. And the essence of business, no matter where you're at and what industry you're in, is relationships. And you're not going to get that off the load board. And I think there was a definitely um, a misunderstanding on all these courses and all these social media gurus on go out there, spend X amount of dollars and just go on the load board. Right. I think the, they didn't really comprehend the cycles and the ups and downs that we do on our niche and who holds the power at what point in the market, right? We're going to get the carrier market back probably in 2027, right? Where we're going to be winning, but that winning is only going to be for a year, right? So um, yeah, I think you pretty much hit the hammer on the nail when you said just going out there and just trying to do transaction by transaction by transaction and really making that bottom line your main priority. And now it's, you know, 2022, fuel prices are doubling, rates are lowering, and you've been, you know, in business for a year and a half, and now you're finna sink because you didn't put no effort to relationships. You was really holding that bottom line as your main focal point on growth. And the curious right now, we're kind of in that soft market. We're in the down part of the cycle, uh, having a brokerage and an asset. Was this the time where you'd want to expand one or the other? Or is the goal to kind of focus and make it efficient? And then when you see it start to get better, then you make the place. Because then the trucks are going to be used truck prices are down, like coming up half to three quarters now. We're starting to see that come back down. New truck orders are, so, you know, there's opportunities. But I guess is when would you, do you ever truly know when it's time to grow? Or do you just pick one or the other? Or you just hold tight until it becomes very clear that we're back on the upswing? I think that's a, that's a, Somebody give me some advice. I don't know the answer to that either. That's why I'm like, uh. <laughs> no, no, I think that's a tough decision. But in the end of the day, I, what I do know, um, alone this year, over 30,000 carriers closed business, right? So we do still know that I don't necessarily need to purchase truck and put my employee in there. There's a lot of owner operators still out there that are hurting that we can just lease on, right? And that's kind of where our hybrid carrier network comes from, right? Where we have 
our own employees, which are a handful, but we're really going to start focusing on helping our owner operators really overcome these tough and challenging times rather than going out there and buying our own assets and making them into employees, right? I want them to become business owners. I want them to stay business owners. I want them to have a business mentality. And that's just really how we can provide the best service to our customers when you have those type of drivers. So I definitely want to nurture the owner operatorship, right? And even when we have trucks, uh, after two years, we turn our people into owner operators. So for example, um, one of my lead drivers, Fred Williams, he just became his own operator and the company assisted him perching in his own truck. So what I do do is definitely nurture that mentality. That's the people that I want to be around. I want everyone to be on that business mentality, that service mentality, and really that it's a numbers game as well, right? And I want everybody to have a great understanding. And with if everybody has a business sense and is an owner-operator, you can get great things achieved. We all succeed. Brittany, thank you so much for coming on. If folks want to find out more about Trailer Transpo, want to join up or help out, what's the best way to get in contact? Yeah, 1-800-705-6004. That's our direct line. And then we have our website, of course, uh, trailertranspo.com. Perfect. And we're looking forward to the Freight Waves events. And always great to have you on and talk to you. Uh, it was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Thomas. That's going to be a wrap for today, but you can join our show every Tuesday live at 1 p.m., but also have the newsletter, freightways.com slash loaded and rolling, Thursdays at 2. Always a pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening. Join us next week, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll do a live.